by the time you hear this podcast, you won't touch our truck. You can drink my liquor, you can call my lady, you can take my money, you can smoke my blood. Scuff these Jordans, you can say you hate me, you can call me crazy, but don't touch my truck. By the time you hear this podcast, I'm Greg. I'm Ben. And we are back with episode 180. This is the reverse dunk episode. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. So, uh, again, thank you for everyone who's listened thus far. Um, We've gotten some good feedback about episode 179 which is the girl group mashup mix um so you'll we'll we'll sprinkle some more mixes in there every now and again so uh i know it's been a while there's i don't know how much there is to catch up on um yeah really it's just mostly album releases which you know you'll see come around when we cover the charts things like that i think i saw lords coming out with something panic at the disco yeah. So, yeah. Um, I think it's called Viva Los Vengeance. Very interesting name. All right. Yeah. Uh, that's a C for creativity, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, I got to ask you this since it's been a while since we've done an episode. What have you been listening to? Oh, man, I've been all over the place. Um, listening to some Alex Melton, who. Um, I know probably when it's when it's my go around will probably be my next cover of the week. Um, he does all the um, where he takes a country song, does it punk or takes a punk song and does it country. As of late, he's been doing like halftime drums versions of songs. Hmm. Um, gives them a very, very different feel. Um, so that's that's really cool. But aside from that, just a lot of um, pop alt and a little bit of um so like, well, with that, like, you know, Fickle Friends is a band I've been getting into. Um, and then I guess it's kind of like indie pop rock, but like kind of roots rocky. Um, Joel Hurtler and the Rainbow Seekers is one of the bands I've been getting into. I have no clue how popular they are, but Spotify suggested them to me and I really like their stuff. So, um, yeah, that's that's the type of stuff. And then randomly sprinkled in there's some Marshall Crenshaw. 
because he got suggested to me. And he's one of those writers I've always had like hella respect for. Um, And I feel like people in music know who he is and recognize him. But I feel like outside of that, not many people really know who he is. He's kind of like a, I don't, maybe a poor man's Elvis Costello. (laughs) Just people just really don't know much about him. But like he had this influence on music and a lot of the pop writers that came out of the 80s and into the 90s and just, but people don't really know who he is. They couldn't tell you. This is the only thing I know Marshall Crenshaw for. In the movie La Bamba, Uh he plays Buddy Holly. Really? I did not know that. And his, he has a, what's funny about the movie La Bamba with the soundtrack. Yeah. It is clearly sounds 80s (laughs) rather than 50s. Yeah. Uh, but he does a okay. he has a cover of uh, Buddy Holly's "Crying and Waiting." Okay, yeah, that and his version is in the film. It's like this sounds very eighty. <laughs> He's <laughs> but, totally like that. What you would have expected, like a singer songwriter out of the eighties, to sound like, like uh, got Michael Penn. Like if you know, like he sounds like you know Michael Penn sounds like Marshall Crenshaw. Um, I think I first discovered him when he he co wrote "Till I Hear It From You." Um, the Jim Blossoms track that was on Empire Records, the Empire Records soundtrack. They called him in to help, but um, yeah, he's he's pretty cool. He, he's pretty cool. I rediscovered him again when he co-wrote. Well, he wrote some hearts on the um, Carrie Underwood album, which was funny. That's the title track. <laughs> was a cover, a cover by um, by Marshall Crenshaw. That's just really funny to think about that. Like that's how they used to get down with American Idol winners. Was she a winner? I think. Uh, Karen, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. that's how I used to get down. They they chose a Marshall Crenshaw cover for her country album and kind of countryed it up. It was it was really weird, but you know, that's what we used to do back then, kids. <laughs> <laughs> I've been listening to, um, I guess what to be con- would be considered IDM, intelligent dance music. I've never heard that term, but that yeah, is awesome. I've heard that uh, for you know. That's associated with like LCD sound system. Okay, and, okay. And cut copy and neon Indian, um, washed out. Uh, also, chill wave is kind of the same deal. Would uh, they consider Passion Pit IDM? Possibly. Okay. Because he, I feel like he tries to write very socially conscious lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> like I think about Take a Walk is supposed to be about an immigrant. That like misses his family. I was like, who wants to dance to that? <laughs> but people do. People and do. Like, Neon Indian has a, a danceable song about uh, the landlord trying to kick his family out of the apartment. See, that's getting too deep. That's like, have you seen those videos where they're like, they try to throw in the weirdest drops you can? It'll be like, you know, do, 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 do. We have been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty. <laughs> like, it'll just throw in, like, random science facts. <laughs> that was was a, that was actually a trend on Vine at one point. Oh, really? Because people were, like, taking, like, sports highlights and doing and putting, like, the dubstep drops to them. Oh, really? But then some people started uh, adding their own thing to say yeah. at the drop. They're like... Dun, 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 dun. What do you mean I'm adopted? Down goes Frazier. So let's get into some mm. music news. Uh, well, oh, also, 
what I've also been listening to actually is um uh I guess the alternative R and B stuff that's like I know it's not on the radio anywhere. Yeah. Uh but that, that's how I that's how I find music. <laughs> <laughs> so um there's an earworm that'll be one of these uh okay. kind of artists. Um uh, Theophilus London, who's associated with Kanye West. At first, I don't know if they are working together anymore. Um, he might, he might be on the on the last couple albums, possibly. And um, who else? Uh, Kate Trinata, mm. uh and um, Alex Isley. Uh, she's the granddaughter of one of the Isley brothers. I was going to ask, <laughs> is she related? She is related. So yeah. Um all right. Let's get to some music news. Now, uh I think this was now 5 years ago we did an episode about the new edition story. Uh the mini series or limited series, whatever you want to call it. Um Elijah Kelly, who played the adult Ricky Bell <laughs> in the new edition story will star as Sammy Davis Jr. in an eight-episode limited series. It's going to be on Hulu. Of course. And the first two episodes will be directed by Empire co-creator Lee Daniels. Lee Daniels. Um, he did The Butler, I know. The Butler. What else has he done this? Precious. Okay. Um, and... There was some, uh, I, yeah. Well, you know him for that. Yeah, uh, for those things. Um, so the Untitled series mm-hmm. is based on Will Haygood's book in black and white, The Life of Sammy Davis Jr., and will chart his rise from childhood stardom on the vaudeville stage to one of the most famous black entertainers in the fifties and sixties, being the only black guy in the Rat Pack, mm-hmm. um, and his affairs with white women, uh, <laughs> basically. Uh, him right. marrying Swedish actress Mae Britt, him converting to Judaism, uh, his friendship with the Kennedys and Richard Nixon, and of course, <clears throat> his problems with drugs and alcohol. I'd be very curious to see how this goes, um, and 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 how much of his time. Well, I'll just we'll see because I, I, a lot of what I know about Sammy Davis was shaped by. Um, Malcolm Gladwell's coverage of him in an episode of Revisionist History where he talks about what it's like to be a minority existing in a majority space. It's, it's a really, really good episode. Mm. Um, but he talks a lot. He focuses focuses a lot on his when he um, the Nixon thing where he performed at the Republican National Convention. Mm. It's really interesting. So I'll I'll. I would like to see though how what they focus on. Cause when you said his affairs with white women, it's like up oh, up oh, where are they going? Where are they going? <laughs> I gotta be me. So. <laughs> um, so uh, Lee Daniels will work with Thomas Westfall as a writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Westfall was also an associate associate producer on the United States versus Billie Holiday, and was a writer on Empire and Star, which are uh, Stars, the other show that Lee Daniels created. Okay. And um, uh, oh, he created Empire too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he created wow. Empire. Okay. Um, Elijah Kelly, we've seen him uh, in music-related uh, 
projects. He was in Hairspray, the the remake, uh, the remake film. Okay. Uh, he was in The Wiz Live. I feel like he played mm-hmm. the Tin Man. Maybe not. <laughs> I don't remember. I didn't. I didn't watch it, but I know he was in it. And of course, they they mentioned this is the, from the Hollywood Reporter. They mentioned the new edition story. <laughs> <laughs> BET getting a little bit a little bit of shine. The new bit. edition of the 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 BET MCU or whatever <laughs> cinematic universe. <laughs> um. Oh, uh, Lee Daniels is also an executive producer on the Wonder Years, the new run. The Wonder new one Years. is yeah. that still going? It's they got renewed for a second hey, season. Hey, I didn't watch it, but maybe I'll try to check it out. <laughs> um, oh, the Fox show Our Kind of People, which I didn't watch. Our Kind of People. It just looked like Dynasty with more black people. Um, I feel like or, or Succession. For people watch that that HBO show Succession, it looked like Succession with black people. Every, I know we're trying to get us out there. Yeah, but like you can't take every idea and just like let's just put black people in there. Like it doesn't always work. It just like how about we make a family rich from oil, black 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 people rich from oil. Word. Where 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 that's where? what we're doing. Like because then it feels disingenuous. <laughs> it, I like it's cool. Hey, hey, hey! Power to you, man. Representation or or a powerful <laughs> political family like the Kennedys. But maybe black. I mean, hey, maybe if was it Malia and Sasha run for office, maybe we'll see it then. But yeah, right now, who? We just excuse me. Almost we just had the first black president, bro. Like what eight years ago, and now all of a sudden they're out here, you know, running things like. Yeah, it's it's got to be realistic. Um, otherwise, it just feels like it's lip service. So you wouldn't want like the Kennedys, but black. Where there's the patriarch, but then there's someone who's who's going. He's going to be president, and then his little brother. He'll soon be president. He's going to run for senator. Th- and then is, they got that one, one yeah, who this drinks is all the time. Definitely the Kennedys. Then he got one who drinks all the time. And, who, and, who kills somebody? And he may in the have car somebody. He may or where's, may where's not have killed Quiddick? somebody. It's got to be down here. They're from the south, clearly. Well, Maybe that's, that's not what our kind of people. That's not what that is. But what if there was a show like? That? I'm just saying, like they're probably from the south. Yeah. So I could maybe see his Chappaquiddick being Jekyll Island. Maybe. Oh, I was just gonna say Lake Lanier. Lake Lanier. Oh, okay, I can see that too. Lake Lanier, and like for some reason, Angela Bath is the matriarch, and she's got to find a way to get him out of this shit. <laughs> Oh, oh man. there's got there's got to be a like they're all they're all supposed to be you know good very good looking and <laughs> they 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 got a you know uh, the family has to vet the girlfriends and the wives yeah so there's got to be one questionable one questionable girlfriend or wife in there oh god played by like like Tika Sumter or something <laughs> <laughs> hold on what has she been in because she she was in something that I just watched oh she's in the Sonic movie. <laughs> She plays James Marsden's wife. <laughs> She's the one who could like pull off the, the role in this uh and then this hypothetical Kennedy series, Black Kennedy series. I kinda wanna see this now, because actually. of uh, she was uh I remember remember the storyline she had on Gossip Girl? Yes. <laughs> Hold on. She was the um she was the rich girl that showed up like in later seasons, right? Yeah. Okay, I remember that. Her and her brother were like super rich. Was it her and her brother? No, it was her her dad, and then she hooked up with uh, with Chuck. Yeah, okay. Chuck was in love with her. 
I, I totally forgot that and was she was her. like the only black girl on the series like the entire ever. time. I'm trying to think. Just like Aisha Tyler on Friends. What was Vanessa? Was what was she like? She was mixed with something. She's yeah, she's mixed with something. She's black and and something, something. else. Yeah, no one else. I'm thinking back. Yeah, no one else. But even that was never brought up. And it then never came up that Vanessa was black. <laughs> and then, like on the new series, which I haven't watched, you know, more than an episode, like the lead is black. It's just yeah. like they went the complete opposite way. And of course, the the father has to be like a producer because you know they're thinking. They're like you know they're oh. not a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Speaking of Tika Sumter's <laughs> uh, role on Gossip Girl, the the patriarch has to be played by Michael Boatman because he's like the only one. <laughs> Him and uh, Joe Morton and oh, Oba Baba Tunde Joe are the three Morton. bougie black fathers. Joe Morton, <laughs> Mr. Um, was it Miles Dyson from Terminator? What was his name? <laughs> oh, or people more recently know him as Eli Pope on Scandal. Oh, okay, I didn't know he was on Scandal. But I know he, he was the he was um he was Victor Stone's dad in Professor Silas Stone in Justice League. <laughs> Uh, I I don't watch Scandal. I didn't know he was on Scandal. Yeah, he, yeah. I yeah. It, I could see him being. But in those there. are the three black bougie fathers. <laughs> and and <laughs> one more note about about Michael Boatman because I remember him being on uh, Spin City, and he played the uh, I guess the the gay person in the mayor's office. Yes, that's okay. I, but what okay. was funny is he was on. Uh, he was on um, Sons of Anarchy. Mm-hmm. And he was in one of he was the leader of one of the other gangs. Like, okay, Sons of Anarchy, this is the white gang, and then there's a Mexican gang, and he's the leader of the black gang. Hold but, on, I but everyone in the this. black gang wore suits. They were very well dressed. What kind of? And didn't then it take place in like California desert or somewhere somewhere where it's hot? Yeah, I I can't see going that. up to the bike to the to meet the bikers in wearing suits. Hmm. And being very well spoken because they're all heavy, they're they're <clears throat> heavily educated, and they're, it just looked weird. Like no one would buy, no one would buy him as a leader of a of a crime syndicate. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I I want I'm gonna probably go check that out now. That's a show I've been meaning to to get into because I heard so many good things about it. I want this I want this show now to happen. Um, I guess as soon as we publish this oh, the, episode, the Black Kennedy show. It's our idea. If anyone tries to steal it, TM, like, TM. yeah, this is trademark copyright or whatever the hell you want to call it. If it comes out, I would say give the stereotypical name like the Jenkinses or something, but like that's too easy. No, it's it's got to be like it's got to have like like three syllables, um, like the like the Benningtons or something like that. <laughs> The Chesterfields. <laughs> oh God, I want to. I, I kind of want to see this now. I feel that in the second season, um, to spice things up, you bring in a white chick to be to date one of the sons, and it yeah. like doesn't sit well with anybody. Not with not with anyone, even though it's what everyone expects. <laughs> What's funny is I always wanted to write um, my own very my very own like Christmas movie, like Black Christmas movie, and I was like, you'd have. All the couples and one son that brings the white girl to the dinner. 
Like, there's always the one awkward white character in every movie like that. There's just that one awkward one. Unless it was, unless you're the, what, the best man holiday, because he was not awkward. He was actually kind of smooth. But, like, in every movie, you always have that awkward white, usually the white chick, who just doesn't know what to do. She's out of place. Yeah. She cracks jokes that no one understands. She tries to relate, like, yeah, girlfriend. It's just, like, awkward as hell. Yeah. She tries to touch someone's hair. Yeah. Just she, like, she's like, what are you oh, doing? I, I can help you guys cook. And they just don't trust her in the kitchen. <laughs> and then all. somehow at the end, she does something that makes them all go like, oh, what's up, white girl? You ain't that bad. Like, that's. Yeah, it turns <laughs> out she can dance. Or she's good at basketball. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, that's cumin. Oh, what you know about cumin, girl? What you know about cumin? <laughs> Yeah, we're but gonna, then it's we're... an awkward explanation. <laughs> oh, my babysitter Beulah used to, and then you know, all, Rosie, <laughs> all downhill from there. I want, I want this faux political show now. You've sold me. You've sold me. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it would be unrealistic, but like you've sold me. Like, yeah, I want to see this now. Yeah, and it's got it. But for it, I want it to take place in the South, just because I just want to see more things. Got to be, here, you know, for the. Just so it, it would be in the South, but not too Southern, where it would turn off white people from watching it. It's got to take place in or the Tennessee. Rest of, or the rest of the country. Or the rest of the country. <laughs> yeah. It's got to take place in Tennessee. It can't be Alabama. Can't be Mississippi. No. Can't be Louisiana. And Georgia is too mm-hmm. easy of a choice. So. <laughs> now, a show I with. I would say Tennessee. With a white family in Louisiana. That would be interesting, like a like someone in New Orleans, and you see them like feeding dead bodies to gators. I'd also watch that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'd want it to be in Atlanta. And if 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 Lee Daniels, if you want to make this happen, bruh, you know where to come find us. Or or to make it like soup even safer. Um, so it would still technically be the South. It would be in Virginia. Mm, I could see that too. Because that's only, where Hillman is, guys. The only thing that I don't <laughs> want to happen, and TV shows do this all the time, white, black, whatever you are, please do not give them thick southern accents. Everyone yeah. does not talk like that down here. They go, like, I've been binge-watching NCIS mm-hmm. just for fun. There, there are 17 <laughs> seasons of it. Jesus. I'm on season four. But uh, they did an episode where they... <laughs> um, it takes place in Washington D.C., so all their cases are kind of in the D.M.V. area, mm-hmm. and they had to go to West Virginia. Oh, and I bet the, the accents, accents were... were like no, uh, and and these and these were act these I know these were actors because they overdid it. They overdid <laughs> the Southern accent. How else will they know? Like, <laughs> like not everyone from the South says like that and says like that, like that. no. Not and not everyone no. for the South says that. It's annoying. It gets it's it's it just feels some do. That means they they from the they they are from the country. Yeah, but the country, it's not country. everybody. <laughs> and it's even funnier when it's a show that comes on network TV or like broadcast TV or whatever. And I guess maybe like the the ratings aren't favorable, and they're like, all right, we got to dial it back. So, like, the next episode is gone. So, like, <laughs> what happened to their accent? Oh, I guess they really adjusted to New York. Like, they just <laughs> they just came in like that. And if it's CBS, no matter where it is, it's filmed in L.A. Yeah. anyway. <laughs> Wherever they are. 
No, no, they're supposed to be in Iraq. That that is L.A. That is in the desert, desert somewhere, yep. <laughs> or it's Palm a desert, desert soundstage. Oh God! It is. <laughs> oh yeah. It's just that's all I would ask. Just don't give them thick, thick yeah, accents. Don't, don't overdo it, and don't make them all sweat. <laughs> unreasonable, like unreasonable amount of sweat. That's the funniest like, part look, of the time. It may to kill. be hot, but they have heard of air conditioning. Some people not in Mississippi, bro. Not no, in Mississippi. No. Every movie in Mississippi. There's no air conditioning. It's just those box fans yeah. that they sit in the window. You got to And sweat. they got them facing the wrong way. <laughs> so they're not even getting the air. If you don't <laughs> if you don't sweat, they might think you're in Oregon, bro. Like, you got you to gotta sweat. It's like. <laughs> it's either you're sweating or it's snowing outside. <laughs> it's like before every take, they're just like, spray down. They just come in with the bottles. Just spray down Sandra Bullock. Spray it down Matthew McConaughey. Just spray everybody down. <laughs> God, it's time to kill. Like it's everyone like 80% is eighty percent sweat. It's like, why are you so sweaty, man? <laughs> Cause it's Mississippi. Oh, Only man. person that had an accent. Well, no, Oliver Platt, Matthew McConaughey always has an accent. Yeah, that's Kiefer. Yeah. All you do is talk. He's from Texas. That was funny seeing Kiefer like try to defend the fact that like he's like it was a character. But people still come up to me and they're mad about it. And I have to explain to them <laughs> that it's I was acting. <laughs> and that's not who I am in real life. <laughs> it's like Kiefer Sutherland is not really in the clan, y'all. All right. We've gotten way off. I'm sorry. <laughs> ah, All right. So, All right. Um, so one of the biggest selling albums of all time, if not the biggest, uh, it will be, will be turning 40 this year. Of course, we're talking about Michael Jackson's Thriller. Um, I'm not really motivated to do an episode about that album yet. Yeah, me either. I mean, we did Bad. Yeah, and Dangerous. Yeah, which are two albums I really, really like, and I know you like Bad. Um, Thriller is, you know, I I think I feel like you probably want to do Off the Wall before we did Thriller. <laughs> Honestly, I'd want to do Invincible before I talk about Thriller. <laughs> Invincible, the 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 Michael versus Tommy Matola record, <laughs> featuring Rodney Jerkins. Oh God, that was his um, Tommy Matola. Sony does not care about black people album. <laughs> if people for anyone listening, if you don't, if you want to see Michael Jackson, like after he tried to become a white person, like just talk about how racist the the music industry is. Go look up some of his like press conferences around that time. Yeah. Like he was a, he was revealing some stuff. It's it's good stuff cuz they got scared of him after he got too much power. Yeah. That's why there's the conspiracy about yeah. how he died. Mm-hmm. Um but Thriller will be turning 40 this year. Uh of course produced by Quincy Jones, spent 37 non-consecutive weeks at number 1. Uh Seven singles out of nine songs. And um, the uh, this was from the official Twitter account for Michael Jackson. Oh, didn't we have Even one? though he died before Thriller. Well, I thought he died before Twitter took off, I believe. Um, but it said on November 30th, Jackson's Thriller turns 40 years old. A special two-disc anniversary edition of the album will be released at the end of the year. And it's available today for pre-order. So you can pre-order the album now. Uh, I remember there's a 25th anniversary. Yeah. That had like the remixes and covers. Like Akon was on there. I think Fergie uh, was on one too. Yeah. Um, uh, Kanye 
I think Kanye remixed Billie Jean and Will I Am did something because yeah. this was this was uh, 2007 2008 was his was his time <laughs> that, <laughs> that was that was his year really. Um, I'm trying to see what is going to be on the um, on the special edition. I will say though, man, I what do else wish could there we be? got more special edition albums, like what they did with Thriller, where you have modern artists come in and do certain things. I think that'd be cool. I, I'm I'm trying to find what they plan on doing as well. I don't see anything. Maybe they're trying to keep it a secret, or maybe they're just gonna leak it out as time kind of goes on. But there's there's not much out there about what they're gonna be doing. I mean, because I think <clears throat> because of YouTube and maybe some other sites, you can find like outtakes vocal outtakes mm-hmm. um demos yeah uh, i know they did that with bad there are <clears throat> demos and and like a whole album of songs that didn't make the album yeah <laughs> that were never released well they also put out like commentary too like the vincent price talking about um the process of how they well Vin, i think quincy jones talking about how they approached vincent price and then vincent Price talking about his approach to um his part in Thriller, and it's it's some good stuff. Um, and I definitely suggest if you are a fan of the album or just, you know, uh, backstories in general, like the the history of an album, I think it's worth a listen, you know, I would suggest it. Um, and then, of course, like you said, going and finding, because there was a lot of songs they cut, you know. This is why Quincy Jones didn't want to keep working with Michael. He's like, I can't devote another, what well, was like a year to one album. <laughs> like, I just can't do it. That's too much. Um, and it's funny. It's just like they auditioned all these guys to play the bass line on Thriller. I mean, on, on Billie Jean. And who do they go with? Louis Johnson. Like, why even? Like, it was it was almost kind of like he made up his mind. <laughs> just like Louis Johnson probably went first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, you know, this is who we're going to choose, right? <laughs> And um, this does come off of I and I I knew there was a musical I didn't know how big it was, Broadway uh, on Broadway MJ the musical, uh, just earned ten Tony nominations. Wow. Uh, I saw a clip of it on Instagram. I I didn't know that. Um, I I knew that there was going to be one. I didn't know it was uh, they were playing already, but apparently it's it's a hit. So. When, huh. it, when they do the national tour, <laughs> um, which might be later this year, I'm not sure. But uh, oh, speaking of another musical that, because I see it on this website that I'm seeing the article, <clears throat> uh, there's an almost famous musical. Really? Yeah. The show. I'm telling you, the showstopper is Tiny Dancer. It's gotta be. Well, but you think they get the rights to that? How could you not? I mean, like, it's, I knew about that scene before I saw the movie. Like, it's the it's the most iconic scene from the whole movie. Like, Stillwater had songs. Nobody knew, knows them. <laughs> like, I, I knew a couple. But, like, that bus scene, that song, like, that's, I mean, you haven't, you haven't seen the movie, have you? I've never seen it. But you've seen that scene. Yes. How could I, you I not? I know about that and the I Am a Golden God. God. <laughs> <laughs> really crit up. Like everyone, like you can't like I, I can't imagine whatever number um Elton John wants, you pay it. Cause at that point it's it'd be like it'd be like the Lion King musical without Hakuna Matata. 
Like, yeah, you had it, but, you know, it was like a hole. You know, it's like a gap. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time you're just like, oh, this is where they do Hakuna Matata. What the hell is this? Daryl, <laughs> uh, uh, so with this Thriller uh, re-release, the original album, of course, and unreleased songs. On, on the 25th anniversary, it was remixes. Mm-hmm. But on this version, it will be unreleased songs. Okay. So we'll see how that how that goes. Um, another story we had is uh, now I I saw this in in tweets and Instagram posts. Are the Migos breaking up? I don't know. I know the last album doesn't seem to be as 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 big as their previous. I don't know if that's the pandemic, but what was the album with straightening on it? Uh, Culture three. Culture three. Oh, that's creative. Um, <laughs> who knows? I mean, because so what? We've got we've got like a side project by was it Takeoff and Quavo. And, and Quavo. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. And uh, as recently as a couple of weeks ago, they're getting questions. Uh, this is from TMZ. Um, they. You know, he they came up to to Quavo at the airport. Oh, jeez! <laughs> and a photographer asked him if the trio was breaking up. He was his response. He said, mm-hmm. um, "What did he say?" He said, "I won't say. Can't say." Yeah, that's basically it. Well, so hold, hold on, we got sound. We got sound. So so I feel like that's go. a yes or no question. Um. Yeah, we got sound. Here we go. This is from TMZ. Solo? You and take off? Hotel Yeah, no, that's what I mean. Look, look, think, look, are things okay? Are you things okay with you and you and Offset? He closed the door at that point. Um, but hmm. Quavo and uh, Takeoff have a new song called Hotel Lobby under the the name Unk and Few. Yeah, because they're uncle, uncle yeah. and nephew. Yeah. Okay. Um, but there is, he had no answer. He provided no answer yeah. on if they were breaking up. Um, and they, so people go by this whenever, like, is there a breakup or is there some kind of beef? If did they unfollow them on social media. Yeah. So <laughs> Offset and Cardi B stopped following Quavo and Takeoff on oh, Instagram. Oh, God. And Quavo stopped uh, following Offset and Cardi B. Uh, takeoff, yes, is still following everyone involved. I swear, this is this is like the Zanga era. I swear to God, live just journal. Talk to people. No, check my Zanga. No, talk. Oh God. I mean, they had a good run. You know, they had a good run. They've been at they've been at it for a minute. So it happens. You know. People go in different directions creatively, um, and this happens. And if they break up, hey, we had the music. We have the music. 
they were of all the trap groups. They were the 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 poppiest. Yeah. Uh, they had a style which has been copied over mm-hmm. and over. Sub- subsequently, um, it's so it'd be weird if they break because they're y'all are fans. Y'all are related. Yeah. Y'all are y'all are, y'all are uncle nephew or, or cousins or something, <laughs> something to that effect. Y'all are related. Y'all y'all are family. So that makes even more sense, man. Family be getting mad at each other. Yeah. <laughs> Family feuds. Like. I mean, we're just talking about Michael Jackson, who had one of the biggest selling albums of all time that he didn't get the tour on. He had to do Billie Jean while Randy is playing the bongos. Randy! <laughs> Michael! Who's the top of the pool? Oh, God. His father was crazy. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, huge fam- huge family issues there. You know, so I, I, like I said, we have the music. It's funny going back and listening to their early, early stuff and just how they changed. It's just from like fight night to like straightening, like the journey they took. Very interesting journey. Well, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, you had those songs like with fight night, but then like people are following them and, and they are coming up with new Yeah, they kept phrases. Yeah. These things mean something else. Like. Well, like I mentioned before, when they came out with Stir Fry oh, on yeah. Culture 2, they did a video with BuzzFeed about actually cooking Stir Fry. But the song is not about <laughs> the food. No. <laughs> so they get to get away with that in mm-hmm. a way. Because um, <clears throat> interestingly enough, you know, if uh, I know we haven't talked about it much, but with um, Young Thug and Gunna with their legal issues yeah. and a possible RICO um, indictment or, or what have you. Uh, but we had talked about before with using uh, rap lyrics, using rap lyrics yeah. in the court case. And that's only in New York. If that is a law anywhere yeah. in Georgia, Georgia has their own mm-hmm. RICO. I didn't even uh, know that, man. RICO thing. So I want to be like, raise yeah. your hand if you heard about RICO in the Dark Knight. That's why. That's the first place I heard RICO, and I was like, oh, that's a real thing. I heard about <laughs> it on The Sopranos, I think. Okay. Um, I didn't know what it stood for, but I just knew that was the magic word, like basically to get everybody, <laughs> like yeah. got them, like, and then to fit to find out that Georgia has their own. Georgia I didn't know that was a thing. Re- a few states, I think, have their own RICO, um, their own guidelines that to qualify for it's like, RICO. It's like these are state rights y'all are talking about, bro. <laughs> 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 to get your own RICO, <laughs> their own RICO. <laughs> oh God! All right. So um, last thing we're talking about here, we'll get to um, the cover song of the week. Uh, it is my turn on that. But before we get to that, um, Mariah, who uh, it's safe to say she wrote the last Christmas standard, the last holiday standard, she has a lawsuit claiming copyright infringement from her song, All I Want for Christmas is You, Mm-mm-mm. and Andy Stone, who wrote a country song for Vince Vance and the Valiants called All I Want for Christmas is You. Is Clint ever sought up or obtained use of the title of the song? (sighs) 
she's also he's also uh andy stone is also coming out mariah carey's co-writer on the song walter i'm finessive uh, uh she's collaborating him on a lot of stuff i believe this but, is uh, the door we've opened <laughs> he claims uh that she stole the title because their songs sound nothing alike and uh, in the suit, he claims his song got extensive airplay during the 1993 holiday season. <clears throat> Her song was released in 1994, and he is suing for $20 million in damages, and he is requesting a cease and desist um, from distributing his work. If they took anything, it's the title of the song, nothing else. This is, I'm telling you, man, this is the door... That has been opened. I'm telling. It's it's crazy because when these sorts of decisions happen. So thinking back to the Marvin Gaye, um, Robin Thicke case, the doors that get opened when you entertain these these cases, and then the doors that get opened when you rule in favor of of the Marvin Gaye estate, the doors that continue to be open. Ed Sheeran said it best. Like these lawsuits are going to continue to happen. Because it is easier for the artist to settle out of court rather than fight it. And the person who files the suit gets up like they're asking for $20 million. But do you think they'd be OK with half a million to a million? I'm sure they would. And I'm sure if Mariah Carey's, you know, crew was like, hey, bro, just to make this go away. How about we just give you a million dollars and we call it cool. I just got a million dollars for doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> and it's just like this will continue to happen until the courts just say enough is enough and stop entertaining these sorts of like, this is so stupid. Like how many songs are called hell? The Jonas brothers had a song called Mandy. Does that mean Barry Manilow can sue them? <laughs> like if we're, are we, are we going that far? Like it's, you know, it's, it's getting, this is, this is, this is bad. This is. And, but those, the ones you mentioned, like with Ed Sheen and with Robin Thicke, um, you know, we can even mention the Dua Lipa case. Yeah. That's just, that's with the song itself. Like, musically, it sounds similar. Or there are some elements that might make you think. We're just talking about the title. I But you got to figure, like, why not try it? What's the worst that could happen? Like, does Mariah Carey really want to let this go to court? Or is she just going to try to settle and this person gets a payday? But if if she settles... If she well, if she fights it, I think she would win. Her side would win. Mm-hmm. But if she settles, that's going to open the door for similar song titles. I think the door is already open, Greg. Like the fact that somebody was like brave enough to do this with the song, the 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 song in question has been out for thirty almost thirty years at this point, and the original song they wrote in nineteen eighty nine. What kept you from trying this for all these years? What he saw is that in in 2019 and 2020 and 2021, yeah. around the holidays, Mariah Carey's song went to number one on the Billboard Hot 100. <laughs> and everybody she's action. making millions of dollars. He wants part of that. Sad. And what makes me, uh, what gets me, it's never like 
outside of the Marvin Gaye estate, which I only feel that happened because Marvin Gaye is dead, you don't typically have successful, like really big artists doing this. You know, like you don't have, I can't, I don't know why he just came to my head. Like Morgan Wallen's not suing somebody and being like, I came up with this first. Or like, or, or, or to keep it in country, Garth Brooks isn't suing modern country artists. You know, he didn't go sue Kenny Chesney. You know, it's, like, it's you know, it's typically the people, I, I hate to say the husbands, but there never was. Like it's the people who like, they've never been successful and this is their chance at a payday. I mean, hell, maybe I'll try to sue somebody and be like, hey, I wrote this song and it sounds very similar to mine. And, you know, I got no case. But, bruh, if they sell a lot of million dollars, I can buy a house in this climate. Like, come on. <laughs> like, <laughs> even if I give my lawyer 30 percent, that's a down payment. You know, it's, it's this is it's getting this is why I hate it when those cases were winning, because there's always those unforeseeable consequences it's just like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it's going to be bad. This is so I hope that she doesn't settle and I hope she does fight this. But like, do you want to spend all this money to try to fight it? What if you get that one judge that's like, you know what? I'm going to side with Louisiana folks, whoever the hell they are. Vince, Vince, <laughs> Vince Vance, Vance and the, the Valiants. I'm going to side with them because I used to like them back in the day. And boom, another door is open. They just happen to find the one <laughs> Vince Vance and the Valiants fan who's now a district a judge. court judge. <laughs> That'd be um, that's in the new John Grisham novel. <laughs> There'll be a movie about oh, I thought that. You were say that's in the new uh, Black Kennedy show that we pitched, <laughs> where everyone's sweating. Yeah, that'll be that'll be down there, Louisiana, and they'll feed someone the gators because that's just what they do down there for some reason. They just we gonna feed you to the gators, boy. Is that is that some kind of metaphor? I don't think so. No, it's literally there's a there's a lot of gators down here, a lot of swamps. They're really gonna take you and feed you to the gators. <laughs> oh uh, god! So that'll do it for our, our uh, music news. And before we get to the charts, we'll get to the cover song of the week. Uh, my selection for the cover song of the week is uh, I know we mentioned Kiefer Sutherland, but this is a different Kiefer. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he is a uh, pianist, keyboardist, uh, producer, um, and he does a cover of, and since we're coming up on summer, uh, Everybody Loves the Sunshine. Ooh, that's a good track. Uh, originally by Roy Ayers Ubiquity. Um, and uh, it's a, one of those summer essentials. Mm-hmm. Um, the original or any kind of remake that you might appreciate. Um, and the song has been famously sampled by Mary J. Blige. But this is the cover by Kiefer featuring Theo Croker. Everybody loves the sunshine and we'll be right back.
Everybody Loves the Sunshine by Kiefer featuring Theo Croker from Kiefer's album Between Days. I think that's what it's called. Yes, Between Days. And uh, yeah, there's still no playlist for this yet. <laughs> I'll get around to it. I covered this with the band. Um, it was like a it was a pickup gig, but it was like a summer festival. It's, it's the perfect type of song for that. I don't think I've heard this cover before, though, but it's a, it's a good song. Oh, there he goes, my life. Yeah. <laughs> looking for that melody. Uh, so um, let's get to the charts here. Um, so number one this week, and... No, it wasn't number one the on our last the last episode we recorded, but I think it was going to be number one. Uh as it was by Harry Styles. Have you heard this one yet? I have. It's 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 different. It's different. Uh he's getting away with a lot of stuff, I think. Um He's well, I mean he's as far as what he's doing musically, because yeah, yeah. it's kind of left left field. Yeah, the first album was like Indie rock and like very seventies. Yeah, indie rock, very seventies. The second album was like f- a little bit of funk, a little bit of psychedelic, and then this is just like sounds like pop EDM. Yeah, it's probably like, gonna be like avant garde. Like JC, JC is probably just like word. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I was trying this, and y'all wanted Justin. Like, yeah. Different times. Um, number two, First Class by Jack Harlow. Uh, I guess despite the criticism he may be receiving, yeah. uh, people are still listening to the song. Yeah. Are they hate listening to it? I don't know. I I wouldn't be surprised if TikTok might be driving it a bit because I uh, it, it's, it's in a lot of TikTok videos. Number three. And I've been hearing this song a lot on TikTok, Wait For You <laughs> by Future featuring Drake and Tim's. Someone made a, a video of like, this is how it was when they recorded the song. While Future is trying to rap, Tim's is just singing <laughs> very loudly, singing her part very loudly. But then when Drake starts rapping, she stops singing. <laughs> like, oh, you should have for Drake? So they, you know, would uh, number four, I haven't heard this song, Late Night Talking by Harry Styles, debuting at number four. Number five, About Damn Time by Lizzo. This is her newest song, and I've been seeing a lot of uh, yeah. TikTok videos. Of, there's a TikTok dance to it. Yeah. Number six, Heat Waves by Glass Animals. Hanging around. Look at them. Uh, number seven, Big Energy by Lotto. Number eight. Debuting at number eight, Music for a Sushi Restaurant by Harry Styles. Is this a... I think the album might have dropped and just these are streams, probably. Like a take on um, Billy Joel's Scenes from from an Italian Restaurant. (laughs) He seems, I don't want to say weird, but he seems kind of like that would be a move he'd make. I could totally see him. I, You know what? I'm going to look that up. (laughs) Uh, also debuting debuting at number nine since the album dropped, uh, Matilda by Harry Styles. 
And number 10, Mi Porto Bonito by Bad Bunny and Chencho Corleone. Uh, let's go to the Billboard 200, which are the albums. Just a moment while we pull <clears throat> that up. Okay, I guess it's the Global 200 is what it's now called. Um, debuting at, well, it's been on the, wait, this is, these are songs. Okay, hold on. Yeah, that's, that's kind of <laughs> those are Those are songs. Um, that's 100. Yes, yeah, down at the very bottom. Okay. If, uh. There we go. All right. Billboard 200, debuting at number one, Harry's House by Harry Styles. Uh, Un Verano Sin Ti by Bad Bunny. Uh, it was number one. It debuted at number one, I guess. It was number two this week. Number three, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers by Kendrick Lamar. Debuted at number one. It was number one last week. Number four, I Never Liked You by Future. Uh, it debuted at number one, I believe. Uh, number five, American Heartbreak by Zach Bryan debuts at number five. Number six, you have one week, Zach Bryan, because Dangerous, the double album by Morgan Wallen <laughs> is right behind you, and it's going to overtake you. Because no one stops. <laughs> no one the stops the Morgan. Yeah, no one stops the <laughs> double album. Like it's just <laughs> <laughs> number seven, Come Home, The Kids Miss You by Jack Harlow. Number eight, Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. Number nine, Miniso Two, Thursday's Child, an EP by Tomorrow and Together. And number ten, seven two two zero or 7220 by Lil Dirk. All right, let's look at the Artist 100. Number one, got the number one album, the number one song, and he's the only member of One Direction that anybody cares about. Harry Styles is number one this week. Number two, uh, and well, because of the rules, Harry Styles was number 10 last week. <laughs> That's because the song was out already, but then he dropped the album. <laughs> he moves up to number one. Number two is Bad Bunny because he has new music out. Number three, who was number one last week, Kendrick Lamar because he has a new album. Number four, Morgan Wallen. Why? Because? Because it's Morgan Wallen. Can't be stopped. <laughs> <laughs> number five is Future. He has a new album, of course. Number six, Doja Cat, who has a new song out for the soundtrack to, we have to refer to it as Boz Lerman's Elvis. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, that's so corny, but whatever. He's, he's earned it, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. 
where it looks like the main character is actually uh, Tom Hanks as Colonel Parker, Colonel Tom Parker. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> uh, number seven is Jack Harlow. Number eight, Ed Sheeran. Number nine, The Weeknd. And number 10, Luke Combs. I guess no people don't talk about that Zachary fella. <laughs> no. Uh, and um, each artist in the top 10 of the Artist 100 was ranked number one at some point. I don't know about this year or anything like that, but they have all been at the top. And they're all in the top 10. So that will uh, that is the charts. Uh, ben, why don't you tell us about your earworm of the week? Um, I don't know anything about this group. Um, they're called Fleming and John. This came out in like the, I think the late nineties, maybe early two thousands. I follow them on, um, Instagram now because that's just been my thing. Finding groups from that era, seeing if they're still active and following them. Uh, the name of the song is called ugly girl. I don't know what genre of music you call it. I don't know if this like maybe early Baroque pop, maybe there's a lot of, um, odd instrumentation in it uh i just really like the song though it's just really funny it's a very mean song i played it for my wife and she agrees it's a very mean song if you listen to the lyrics but um it's also just like mean mean lyrics with like a really kind of fun and upbeat melody so you know with a lump with a spoonful of sugar you know (laughs) (laughs) all right so this is ugly girl by fleming and john and we'll be right back. Ugly Girl by Fleming and John, a husband and wife duo. Okay. 
and they're from Nashville, which is a prominent city in our main topic for this mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's Baroque pop, but it might be that like jangle pop. Yeah, I couldn't think of what to call it because I'm pretty sure that phrase did not exist back when this song came out. Like that was, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, even though pop, according to their wiki, Ben Folds called them the Carpenters of the '90s with Led Zeppelin's rhythm section. I do like their bass. No, that I so I don't know if I call it the Carpenters. That's really okay, Ben. But um. Yeah, that is that guy who's on that who's on that stand up bass. Sounded really good. And I, I did like the drummer. Um and you know like a, a nice little punchy snare. <laughs> so you can find that song along with all of our other earworms on the BTT YHT Earworms of the Week playlist on Spotify. Right now. I'd be curious to know why he thinks the carpenters though. I I I'd wanna yeah, he seems like he has some very interesting views on music. Yeah. So, um, while well, I said that Nashville is a prominent city in our main topic tonight, uh, is we will be discussing the documentary for Love and Country, a documentary about um, black artists trying to break into the country music scene. And just like, you know, you go to L.A. or New York, to get into the movies or the television. Mm-hmm. You go to Nashville, you're trying to break into country music. Basically. So uh, we'll be discussing that documentary. Um, you can find it on Amazon Prime if you wanted to pause the podcast here and watch it first. Yeah, spoilers ahead. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, one thing we could say here, I guess the first spoiler, it's one of the first things Ben said when he when he got here. Um there is no narrative to this yeah. documentary. It's just a bunch of individual stories. And they're all interesting stories. Yeah. Um, but it's just a bunch of stories and a little bit of analysis towards the end, like of like, you know, where they see the industry of country music going and the city of Nashville going, but like, yeah, there's no like, yeah, it's that's the only criticism I would give it. But I mean, this might have been what they were going for. Just hey, let's get a bunch of people who are close to the genre or are working in the genre um, that came to Nashville and let's get them to share their stories. And I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah. I'll say that much. I thought it was interesting. And some of it I, I could relate to. A lot of it I could relate to as a musician. Yeah. Um, there were, like, everyone had their own, like, like how they came, uh, how they got into country. Yeah. Um, you know, and there there was always a connection that they that they felt good about, that they wanted to kind of explore that and, and basically, this is what they're kind of saying um, in a in a more complex way, I guess, is something that um, we have said on this podcast. Country music came from black people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and through marketing and branding, 
Um, you know, I can't remember who said it exactly, but the music being marketed to conservative white people, especially mm-hmm. in the 70s, throughout the 80s. Oh, yeah, that's that was how the uh, Martinez white. lady. I can't yeah. think of her name, but yeah. Uh, the, yeah, one of the, they only talked to two journalists, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, Let me pull up the IMDB. I can get her name. That made it uh, seem like it was just white music. But going back to its roots, its foundation, mm-hmm. its origin, it comes from black people. It comes from gospel music. Yeah. Um, created the country, by black people. Black music, the blues, and the country blues. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the you know, Mississippi and, and, you know, down in the Delta and things like that. And, and of course, all music over time, you know, evolves, you know, but that's, you know, our, what's the phrase we use? All music is black music. I mean, yeah. every, every style of American music, every style of American popular music has its roots in something that is made by African-Americans. Country music is no exception. If anything, today, country music is, music is probably the closest it's probably the the and I mean not thinking not talking about bro country or kind of what's you know become but like I would say through the early two thousands it was the closest art form that just because it, it didn't change that much from what it was yeah you know it's is origins is origins and blues and everything like that it's they've kind of kept it you know but but in the know. same vein when black people get involved uh or or coming back to it uh, if you will mm-hmm. then. They're going to be innovative. There's going to be more creativity. Yeah. It's going to be progressive. It's going to push the genre forward. Yeah. And I and that and is a good that, point. Yeah. That will scare certain people. Yeah. Because <laughs> it is the key word there is, you know, as you said, conservative people who don't want it to change. So when you see a black person coming into that space and not only are they singing about they're like the the subject matter is the same but the way in which they're singing it is different it's more rhythmic is there's a trap beat behind it and it's just you know it's like what is this you know country music is supposed to be about experiences and they're singing about their experiences and you know for the longest time it was their experiences that were were being sung about and not ours <laughs> so when you start to bring ours into the into the equation yeah you don't they'll not act <laughs> it's scary What's interesting is that um, uh, with with everyone having their different stories, you know, uh, they kind of all ran into the same roadblock. Yeah. You know, um, the first person that they introduced was uh, Brittany Spencer, who, for one, is from Baltimore. Yeah. And... uh, she moved to Nashville, <laughs> like a lot of them said, and then I just moved to Nashville. And that's got to be a scary thing to do. But like you said, how different is it from moving to L.A. or New York? Yeah. And we hear about people doing it all the time. Or you know? to pursue, um, you know, to pursue writing or, mm-hmm. you know, your or some kind of art, whether it's in fashion or, you know, painting, comedy sculpture, or, yeah. comedy, <laughs> something like that. Um so yeah, I just thought that was I thought that was I get interesting. I, she when she said this, she's like, I don't have the the twang because I'm from Baltimore, and then I just wonder, do you have to have the twang in your speech to sing country? I don't think 
you always had to. I just think a lot of people did. But now, because of the way that Nashville lives, I'm going to try not to make this a, a, a referendum or a rant on modern day Nashville. But I definitely think that if you don't, they don't want you. Because mm. I feel that I've heard artists that forced it, you know, um, Rascal Flatts. Now I have that uh, as a note for a couple of inc- uh, instances. Yeah, it, it feels like they just, you, you got to have it. And it's just, otherwise, it's, it's kind of. It's kind of like the 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 sh- like us talking about the TV shows where they force them to have an exaggerated accent. It's like if you don't have an accent, how would we know it's country? <laughs> so, yeah, I do think unfortunately you've got to, along with you know a lot of the instrumentation. If it's not there, you know how will they know it's country? Yeah. So, um, so they talked to Brittany Spencer, and then the next person they talked to was Camille Alston. And she brought up that Nashville, like the kind of city that Nashville is, there's this great sense of community, mm-hmm. but they want things to stay the way they are. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, you know, she said no one wants to shake any feathers because this is just how it is. Yeah. So it's going to be looked at as a black person trying to break into country music mm-hmm. as non-traditional yeah which is would that be irony or a little bit yeah um yeah that's become that has been the problem with nashville really over the last 30 years they don't they don't like they're conservative as hell and kind of like within pop music they figured this thing out to a t and if you don't have that sound you're not you're not going to break. And that's, you know, and that's forced a lot of what is known as alternative country to, you know, to come out, you know, people that, cause pe- most people are like, Oh, I hate country. And then they'll hear something, you know, like, Oh, I like that. Well, it, they won't allow that in Nashville. So then unfortunately, and this isn't a dig at someone like in Jimmy Allen, but he has to do their style of country to even break through. Like it's yeah. hard enough as a black guy doing country. Now you've got to do it their way. To break through, and you know, I'm I'm happy someone like him broke through. He made me think of. Do you remember that guy, Michael Warren? Yeah, I feel like that's Michael Warren was trying to do what Jimmy did. Like it was somebody. It, 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 <laughs> like you said, there can only be one. There can only be one in Nashville, and it's just like Jimmy beat you, bro. Like he got there. Yeah, I, uh, the thing that I wrote with as far as with Jimmy Allen is like he's the one now. And when they, the, we'll get to when they talked about Charlie Pride later, but mm-hmm. it's like how, uh, and I got this from Dan Lebatar talking about the one black comedian who can mm-hmm. be a movie star. Yeah. That can only be one at a time. And right now that guy is Kevin Hart because I just saw a trailer for a new Kevin Hart movie the other day. Man's making money here. <laughs> but he's the only black comedian allowed to be a movie star. Uh now, Roy Wood Jr. gets to replace James Corden on the, the late night show. Was that happening? It, it James Corden is leaving Everyone the show eventually. <laughs> and there was there's been some articles talking about replacements, and Roy Wood Jr.'s name came up. And he would be um the third 
uh, <laughs> black late night host. You count Arsenio if you count Magic Johnson. <laughs> I forgot about that. Magic Johnson did have a show. Uh, then he would be third, like as far as network television. Yeah. So um, we'll see. So I think that same article also suggested Ronnie Chang, also in The Daily Show. Okay. Um, Tell you, bro, a yeah. lot of talent comes out of The Daily Show, man. Yeah. A lot of talent. Did you did you hear his interview where he talked about that? Um, um, no, it wasn't Bomani. It was, never mind, it was black on the air. Never mind. Never mind. Um, I didn't hear that, but, you know, yeah. we got Stephen Colbert and Stephen Carell. Yeah. Off the Daily Show. And John Oliver. And John, yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of talent. Uh, but so yeah, they only to, can be one, yeah. Yeah, they can only be one. So they talked to uh, Shy Carter. Who I thought was Kane Brown at first. <laughs> at first glance, <laughs> I thought that was Kane Brown. <laughs> uh, Shy Carter, who's worked with um, Nelly and Ashanti and... Um, the his reference to three six mafia because he's from Memphis. Yeah, yeah. saying like that's how everybody what three six mafia was popping. That's what everybody was sounding like. That I was like, that's kind of what hip hop is because that because like I just mentioned a few minutes ago with the Migos, everyone's kind of sounds like them now. Yeah, with the ad libs mm-hmm. and the <laughs> and uh taking certain words or phrases to make it mean something else as far as like it is it mean does it mean drugs or yeah. murder or whatever. I think that's wild though if you think about that. Nashville, Memphis, one state. <laughs> two completely <laughs> different places. Two completely different places, two of the most important music cities like in American music history in the same state. But what were the odds, right? You know? You would think that would be California, but yeah, two diff- completely different cultures, two completely different. Memphis is rock and roll and hip hop and soul, and Nashville is all country. <laughs> it's just it's just crazy. Both respectful in their own rights, and interesting to see that he he went from one musical town to another. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing I didn't notice that there's a lot of. <clears throat> They all, all the artists that were featured in the documentary mm-hmm. all kind of like gravitated towards country. Like mm-hmm. it was just something that was, they feel it's like a calling. Yeah. Oh, d- yes, definitely. Like they hear a song when they're like Britney Spencer, she heard the Dixie Chicks and was like, that's what I wanted to do. They all had that aha moment. Yeah. And, um, and I can relate to that. I could definitely relate to that part of their story. Like you have that aha moment, you hear that song, that artist that you're like, oh, yep, this is this is it for me. <laughs> this is what I I want to do. They were just successful at it, but um, I I really could relate to that part of the story, and I loved hearing I love hearing that from people. Um, the I didn't I didn't have too many notes on this one, um, but I talked to Allison Russell, um. I feel like she probably got told that she's that she's not really black. You think just so? because of her interest in in country music? Yeah, I c- and sadly I can relate to that as well <laughs> because um, unless unfortunately, unless you're listening to a certain type of music, and I guess this is where my experiences differed. I never got that from white people. Like I very rarely got from. I mostly got it from black people. And 
one of the things I started kind of using later in life as we after we did this podcast, I was like, well, you know, all music came from us. I don't care. It's like, all right, well, I mean, you know, it's 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 and I, but I was I was glad when I started seeing it come up more on social media that the younger generation was starting to recognize where it came from. And maybe we can kind of stop with this saying like, oh, you're not black. Like, what is what is blackness? What is so they talk about, like, what is country? You know, what is what country means to them? Country can be a black experience, you know, like plenty of black people in the South grew up listening to it. And it's just like, you know, you shouldn't have to tiptoe around anybody. And I can and I could kind of see. Yeah, she probably did get that. She had the natural hair, everything. She was trying hard to be black. (laughs) (laughs) And she seemed just very passionate about all all of these things. And I I could definitely see that, though. It kind of reminds me. I can't remember where, where I saw it, but this was over the past few days where it's like black people have to prove to other black people that they're black. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's like, you know, someone might say, oh, you you don't care about the struggle. What, what, what do you mean? What do you mean what I don't, you mean care, about I don't care about the struggle? You think I like struggle? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the struggle. I mean, I don't want to have the struggle. But What, I need to be out here marching in these streets? <laughs> <laughs> what do I have to prove to you? That I support black people. Yeah. You know? Um, so, uh, oh, the next thing I had, the next note, I wrote, Jimmy Allen likes the same music as Ben. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wrote that, yeah. Because um, he said, what was the, the first two artists he said? He's like, Matchbox 20. I was like, yep, yep, yep. I have that album. I bought that first album, Jimmy. <laughs> like, all the artists. I'm like, like this, these, are, these are all the artists Ben likes. Like, I'm looking at them like, in another life. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I went to Nashville in 2007. I was like, that was right when I graduated, bro. I could have been up there with you, Jimmy. <laughs> I think we're the same age, too. Um, <laughs> Only thing is, he's from Vermont, which... How country wow. is yeah? How country is Vermont? You know, but you know he he made it work. He made it work. <laughs> um, I guess he can't be surprised. I guess it's like still shock. If it, it may still be a shock to like hear it for real with them. With he said the whatever record executive said that like we like you, but it'll this will never work. Yeah, and then like a couple of years later, he has his first hit. Oh, and it's like, oh, I knew you that. could do it. Like, not, yeah, yeah, okay. And he, I like the fact <laughs> that he didn't go like, oh, thanks. No, he responded back and said, you're full of it. Like, I like that. I don't know if I'd have the balls to do that, but I like that he did it because um, I don't think unless you call that type of stuff out, it's not going to change. Because now, well, that guy, that guy will probably take a chance on a black country artist, but... I think he needs to, I I think it's important that he understands, like, you know, don't do it just because they're black. Do it because they're talented. Because the music industry, you know, as everyone, I think, should understand, is a copycat industry. Um, And while I'm not going to say that in Nashville that there probably wasn't some prejudice involved, um, I would maybe say it's like 70 to 80 percent prejudice and the rest of it is like, we don't want to invest money in something that's going to fail. Yeah. There's there's always that. That's why there were 10 Nirvana clones and there were 10 <laughs> Britney Spears clones. And I guarantee you after Mickey Guyton, 
we're probably going to see some Mickey Guyton clones. We're going to see more black female country singers because that's what's hot in these streets now. Yeah. Like we got to You got to have it's, it sounds bad like it's a car. You got to have one now. Like, does your label have one? No, then go find one. Go find me a, another the next Mickey Guyton. That's they were trying to find the next Taylor Swift. It's just it's it's a copycat thing. Now that those barriers have quote unquote been broken down and they see that, you know, the mainstream will accept a black artist, a black which I mean like being real. So just to kind of go back to the note here that I had at the beginning, the people I expected to see. Charlie Pride, Cowboy Troy, and Darius Rucker. We all know how big Charlie Pride was and how big Cowboy Troy wasn't. But we also know how big Darius Rucker was. Yeah. The, Why was, were they not accepted as was, big as he was? <laughs> what was um, before we get to that? Because that I I want to I want to combine all that with the, with Charlie Pride and, and yeah. Darius Rucker. I want to combine all that together. But before we get to that, um, the term race records is really weird. Because yeah, it that came up, like, it came up again. We talked about it once before, right? Yeah, because I looked it up and like, like with racers, were they like talking about like I'm gonna kill some white people tonight or something? No, nope. no, it was race records. Just Same simply thing. meant a black person making a song. Yep, <laughs> black people doing music. Were they were that making race, race records? Record. Sing about the same thing. <laughs> the same thing. It's like that Peter Griffin quote. Isn't that the place? Where all the um, where all the white people hate all the black people for being lazy, even though they're just as lazy. They're singing about the same thing, <laughs> but it's just like, well, when you sing about working at a factory, we call it country music and we give it to you know these white folks. But when you sing about it, yeah, you sound depressed. Yeah, that's a race record. That's clearly that's a race record. <laughs> but it's the same like musicians played on it. It's just I'm saying it's a race record, bro. It's just you know. I don't make the rules. <laughs> it's and that was and to me that was crazy. Yeah, it kind of shows where how far we've come. <laughs> that I, that I also had this note about uh, Mickey Guyton. It has to be frustrating because this goes back to like, you know, black people having to prove they're black to other yeah. black people. That no one saw her as like she really wants to do this. She wants to sing country. And while the important at the same time, the important thing is that you're authentic. Yeah. Meanwhile, we got uh, Keith Urban. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he was a rancher in Australia. (laughs) You know, Chris has made this point before. (laughs) Like that really makes him upset. It's like Keith Urban's not country. I was like, well, I mean, maybe he listened to it growing up. I don't know. <laughs> but like a lot of, you know, not to say that all country music fans are NASCAR fans, but <laughs> but a lot of NASCAR fans had a hard time uh accepting Jeff Gordon because he's from California. Clearly that you can't race in California. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. So um yeah, it was so weird. Like, it, if it's important to the to the fans to accept you for being authentic, because she says she's from like Texas, right? She's from Texas, yeah, small town in Texas, and she's like, what, "What's more country than that?" Yeah, 
but if it's important to to be seen as being like real, but they're still like skeptical because you're black. Yeah, <laughs> black means skeptical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that it's so weird because that it's important for the authenticity. Yeah. Um, and. <laughs> People they didn't think that she would that that this is what she wanted to do. Um, I will say yeah. though, you know, speaking to that that desire for authenticity from your artists in country music, I do think that's why a lot of the old establishment, even though Nashville is pushing these artists, I think that's why a lot of people are rallying against this bro country because you're rapping about things that seem inauthentic. You know, you're rapping about not rapping, although some of them are kind of rapping, but just some of the things just don't seem, you know, and even if you are singing about those things that they care about, you're you're there, Jeff Gordon. You're not you're from here. You're from there. We can't vibe with what you're you know, it's and I heard some guy on TikTok, you know, when he was talking about that type of country music, he was like, maybe that's that is what's country to them, you know, hanging out with their friends on a Friday night driving a $90,000 truck that your parents paid for. <laughs> and he was being serious. He's like, you know, this is, and that's what I thought about when they were describing, because every single one of them I felt like described how country impacted them and what it meant to them. With Britney Spencer being the probably the, the most far removed with her being from Baltimore, not having the accent, but still wanting to do that music. So um, I, I, I like them sharing their experiences and, but that was something that Nashville kind of had to come around to, like yeah. understanding that, you know, who's the girl who said, like, that's what makes me an American? Um, was oh, it the I producer it's, uh, girl? Um, Amethyst? Yeah. Amethyst Kaya. Yeah. She talked about her experiences and, and, and wanted to do country. And she's like, you know, these experiences and this is what makes me American. Um, and it's almost like even if you are from what she said, Crawford, Texas or whatever. Yeah. It it doesn't matter. Like we can't, you know. Clearly, you can't relate to our experiences. You know, <laughs> like I grew up in a small town. You know, we had one high school and we played football on Friday nights and <laughs> all the things that you're singing about. I experienced. You know, I was just black doing it. You know, so uh, it's just it was just so weird to me. <laughs> um, and. I though I can't remember who said it. It might have been the uh the other the other Memphis guy that they talked to saying that country music didn't strike the ears as black music growing up. Mm-hmm. It was jazz and gospel and yeah. R and B. Oh, that was was that the guy who was riding around in his car? He was yeah. the um Nashville native? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, wow, what where did that come from? Like, was it from the the marketing and how um, how the music was being pushed on the radio, especially that they talked about, <clears throat> that black people believe that country music isn't black music? Well, I know one guy I talked to when I talked about country music. This was years ago. We were, we were doing the pod by then, and we had – because I feel like we kind of coined the phrase, all music is black music, so fight TM. us. Yeah, fight us. <laughs> um we were talking about country music, and I was like, well, you know, like, black people invented country music. It's like, well, I don't like, and I'm imitating his voice. I said, I don't like what white people did to it. And it's like, 
I mean, fair enough. It hasn't changed that much, but I I think because so many white people occupy the space for some reason, um, and I don't. I'm not trying to assign blame, I, but I don't know who you blame that on because I know in this they tried to kind of put it on stuff that was happening in the '70s and Ronald Reagan and and the reemergence of cowboys, but it was happening before then. Yeah, you know, it it didn't, you know, it didn't. Just all of a sudden, like boom, white people are in country. No, like you go back to the 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 um, June Carter and uh, June Carter Cash and the Cash fan, the Carter family. Um, you go back to Hank Williams. Granted, I do like when they made the parallels. Like you don't get Hank Williams without Lead Belly. You don't get Elvis without was it Mama Thornton? Uh, yeah, Big Mama Thornton. You don't get those artists. So I mean, like I think if anything, it was just happening parallel. Like you had these black artists that were doing not necessarily like pure country, more country blues. And then it just kind of starts to transform into it gets adapted and like, you know, you start having people adapted into bluegrass and more country. And then, of course, it goes out when you go out to California. That's that could be a freaking subject in itself, how country changes and transforms when you take it out further west. But I think it's just it was happening parallel and of course, as we've seen, typically when you have the white artists doing that type of music, no matter how close together it is, the white artist is going to excel. And yeah. I imagine after a while, and I do agree with this point that they made, after a while, after you just keep doing it and doing it and you keep failing, eventually you're going to stop. And you're just going to be like, okay, you know what? Hey, this isn't for us. And you're going to evolve into whatever. And I think that's how... You know, the electric blues starts happening and you start having people like Buddy Guy. Um, you start having people like John Lee Hooker, things yeah, like, you know, Muddy Waters. It, Muddy Waters. It develops into that because we found they started finding more success in that space. White artists started finding more success in country and country, Western and bluegrass. And I think that's where the, in my opinion, that's where the split off happens. And then it really just starts to, you know, the marketing becomes more aggressive and, that's my opinion of where the split off happened for it to kind of become a more distinct white American white style of music, if you want. And I and even before that, I know you still haven't seen Ray, but I have not. No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's a scene where like after like the hits he had, like, you know, what I say and I'm Jay mm-hmm. my heart and all that. He comes out with a country and Western album. Mm hmm. Uh, I think it's just called Sounds and Country and Western or something something to that effect. But he grew up listening to, you know, he grew up listening to country music. Yeah. And he he did some covers and had some original songs. And so when he goes out on tour again for the new album, uh, the crowd is confused. <laughs> because they want to hear... What I say and the hit the road, and Jack. The boogie woogie, yeah. And uh, you know they want to hear that stuff, um, but it ends up becoming one of his best-selling albums, and it's probably I, I would think it's considered very influential on country music going forward from the late '60s. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I saw a picture of Ray Charles. There was no reference to Ray Charles at all in this documentary. Yeah. So, getting to that, one to get to their their segment about Charlie Pride. Yeah, uh, I you can't have a black 
a mu- a discussion about black country artists without Charlie Pride. Like you just, yeah. you I can't. mean, not to not to insult Charlie Pride, but I remember when when Chris Rock had his talk show on HBO. Mm-hmm. He's like, and uh, he, I remember in one of the like his opening monologues, like, and the CMAs were last week. And for the 30th year in a row, Charlie Pride wins the only nigga in country music. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for the longest time. I mean, it's just like. It like he was the only one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was, but he was very successful. Incredibly. Like, and it wasn't like, oh, he's like, good he's for a black dude. he's considered one of the greatest country artists of all Yeah, time. race, like, withstanding. Yeah. Like, he's very influential, <laughs> you know? I mean, how I think of. I think the first time I really realized how influential he was out of high, outside of like, you know, high school and stuff was that Miranda Lambert saw me and Charlie talking, which I think is about Charlie Pride, if I remember correctly. So he's a he's very, very influential. And I was happy to hear that him and Jimmy Allen had a relationship. Yeah. Um, because you, you can't have the discussion without him just because. And, he, and it's it's gruesome to think about, but he was like he was in country back when they were still hanging and lynching people yeah. and shooting them with fire hoses in the street. Like he's out there singing and playing his guitar, and who knows what the hell he heard in those spaces? You know, back when they were like, yeah, oh, it's still okay to say these things. And Charlie's yeah, the, like the story he told about the being in Detroit. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know. And it it seemed like with the with the, the ones that were starting to to gain traction, I heard that phrase uh, too many times in this mm-hmm. documentary. But when they uh, started to have a little success, um, you know, just like he was, Go all it Charlie. took, <laughs> all it took was just giving them a chance to perform. Yeah, like the with Frankie Str- Frankie, sorry, Frankie State. Oh, you did you did what they did, Greg? You did what they did. <laughs> <laughs> Frankie Staten, uh, where she goes to, you know, the the open mic and and was there for three hours waiting. Yep, <laughs> waiting. waiting her turn. <laughs> and and then when she finally gets on stage, they want her to sing more and more. Yeah, and then she's on the marquee the next day or next week. All she wanted was a chance. Yeah, and then like with Charlie Pride, all he had to do was start playing. Yep. Like, and oh, he, he played for five hours. He had a 10-minute set. He ended up playing for five <laughs> he's, hours. He's good. <laughs> he's actually good. Like, <laughs> So it, it just kind of like give, like uh, as far as just trying to break through, all they need is a chance. Yeah. Because I think in country, you either good or you're not. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> it's kind of one of those, it's kind of like rap. In, yeah. in a sense where it's you just like. You can either rap or you can. Yeah. And, and people will typically recognize like, if you don't bring it, it's almost kind of like those head cutting sessions and like, you know, on the chitlin circuit. Like, you get up there and it, you either you bring it or you don't. And the audience will let you know how they feel. Like, yeah. they're just going to, you know, and that's that's just, you know, the similarities. You know, that's that's how you know these 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 genres of music kind of came from the same place. Um, I can't imagine when she was talking about that. I can't imagine what Nashville was like in the 80s. My God. Like I just ima- I just imagine it was like dirty. I just imagine it was dirty and seedy, smoking in bars. Like sh- that dress probably smelled awful by the time she left. Just, I just felt like there was like cocaine residue. I wouldn't everywhere. be surprised. I mean, hell, look at Kenny Rogers. <laughs> like it's just I don't know. Or I think about um, George Jones. Mm. 
Like country artists back then were living hard. Yeah. Living hard. Think uh, y'all live hard now, bro. <laughs> <laughs> living hard. Um I wanted to get to this before we get to the the next my my next note here. Um I when we were talking about this before we started recording, like who wasn't included in this documentary. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there were scheduling conflicts, you know, just availability or just not enough interest. Um, okay, yes, you cannot have a a conversation about country music, black people in country music, without talking about Charlie Pride. But to not include Darius Rucker. Yeah. That was weird. Maybe he didn't want to be a part of it. Maybe... Maybe they don't like him. I mean, because this, this, he's a guy who was had success in two genres yeah. that really aren't associated with black people. Yeah, on a on a major scale. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and I, and I was just thinking of that that time mm-hmm. that he when he had the R and B album and he's on one hundred six and Park. Uh, debuting a song and it was just so it was so awkward Wild like, one. He, <laughs> he should not be here he should be on vh1 yeah <laughs> or cmt why why is cmt call him you know but it, uh, but or it was it he was pushed to make this r&b album yeah when he went solo mm-hmm. instead of the country album which is he's one of the most successful country artists of all time mm-hmm um, yeah, it but didn't to not make include a lot of him sense. in this documentary, mm-hmm. there you, you felt there was something missing mm-hmm. that you know. Okay, <laughs> there's Charlie Pride. Yes, that is that is the standard. Uh, but no Darius Rucker. Not really talking about Ray Charles. Uh, no Aaron Neville. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and. Uh, I feel like there's somebody else. I, I mentioned think. Cowboy Troy. Cowboy but Troy, yes. Cowboy I just, Troy. I don't know how influential. Even if that was like, know? I don't know if that's lightning in a bottle, but it was yeah. a lightning strike. <laughs> I still, Troy. I mean, I still feel that, I mean, he was, I think him and that music mafia in general, but him especially, like. Like he, he really was doing tried this. to make yeah. something happen. He was doing this 10 years, like what Breland is doing. He was essentially doing 10 years ago. Ten uh, plus years that ago, was like fifteen. 15 yeah, years God, ago. I'm older than I want to admit. But <laughs> I mean, he was doing this back in like oh four, oh five. You know, he was really the first guy from the music mafia to kind of try and break when they had you know Chicken with the Train and and all that stuff. It's just like all these things that they're just like, oh yeah, we're innovative. Cowboy Troy, I'm telling you, man, was doing it. It's like so, where he and for. Uh, for him to not be there, it's uh, like a footnote now. So that just that was that was kind of weird to me. Don't know if they reached out and they just said no. I mean, the Cowboy Troy one irked me, but the Darius Rucker one confused me. Yeah, like how is he not there? Because I mean, I know we talk about Charlie Pride being the standard, but like in terms of like this new era, I think Darius Rucker kind of kicks the door down. Like he had, he comes in with all of his hooting and blowfish, blowfish clout. He has kind of like a built-in fan base of people because if you think about it, all the music they made, like "Let Her Cry," would totally be a country song nowadays. Oh, yeah, you just add in a steel guitar and a fiddle, and boom, it's a country song. 
So I think I think that kind of made it easy for him to kind of to transition over. But like with his success with Wagon Wheel, with with, you know, the other songs that I can't think of that he had, um, he kind of kicks the door down. And, you know, if you're if you're someone like a Jimmy Allen or a Mickey Guyton or a Britney Spencer or Raina, um, I can't think of her last name. Uh, Roberts. Raina Roberts. Raina Roberts. And you're looking at him accepting CMAs, you know, CMA awards and everything like that. Like, that's got to be kind of one of those things like, well, he can do it. We can do it. Especially, like, if Charlie Pride was seen as a mentor to a lot of country artists, regardless yeah. of race, why? What the hell was Darius Rucker then? Yeah. <laughs> Another person who I, I met before we started recording that wasn't included, Lionel Richie. Yeah. I don't think he likes to associate himself, though, a lot with country. But he made Tuskegee. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, he did make that. He made a full-on country album. Yeah, country versions country, of his own songs. And he had the country ballad on his um, album too. Yeah, mm, he had the point. country ballad, and which the marketing is. So I do have a theory about that because and he wrote he wrote a song for Kenny Rogers that became a country hit. I have a theory about that, and I think it kind of goes to that authentic that authenticity. And it, and I thought about it when they talked about Lil Nas X and his song, which the I don't I never thought the beat was country, but the subject matter was. But whatever. Um, I think they want you if you're going to be like you're either country or you're not. I don't think they like people switching genres. I think that's I think that's a major issue, not just in the, in the music industry in general, but I think they saw him as a visitor. And maybe that's what they always saw Lionel Richie as. I don't know, but I I I don't know. I don't know if if Lionel Richie was seen as a visitor. I think it's something that he wanted to do, but he was on Motown, and I think yeah. they discouraged it. And 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 that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's just like you can we'll let you indulge here, but you're not a country artist. You're a you're a an R and B and pop artist. That's what you are. We and don't I, do country I, here at Motown. But I think with Lil Nas X, even if he if his sound now was mm-hmm. more country influenced, mm-hmm. um, I I think he probably wanted to go down that path to have some some more more country influence, mm-hmm. not necessarily always subject matter, but yeah. definitely the as far as how it sounds. But I think the moment where when Billboard took the song off the country charts, mm-hmm. he was done. Think so? I think that that I think that did it because. I'm not going to fight to get time. in somewhere you don't want me. <laughs> right. Because the whole time where he's performing the song, he got Billy Ray Cyrus on yeah. the remix. He's going all in on this country angle. Yeah. And, you know, dressing like a cowboy. And, yeah. Uh, you know, he's 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 leaning in on this. You think he should have done what Billy did at the awards show? Here's a quarter. Call, Call someone, someone who cares. cares. Oh man, Billy! Even though that was supposed to be like a oh, everyone's like, like "What the hell, dude? What are you talking about?" <laughs> um, so, I, but I think yeah. once it was taken off the country charts, and and the, you know the controversy of what is country and yeah. what isn't, um, I'm surprised no one referenced Florida Georgia Line. Like, okay, if he's not country, then Florida Georgia Line ain't country. Yeah, what is Florida Georgia Line? What is um. Ugh, I can't think of anyone else. Florida Georgia Line, Georgia Line is always the the punchline there. I can't think of. One. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, uh, well, also, Kane Brown was not uh, yeah. featured at all. Uh, Figured he'd be in there, but, you know. More Georgia people. We need a more Georgia artist in there. I Well, like I said, I thought Lionel Richie would be included or at least referenced. Yeah. Or the Pointer, Center, Pointer Sisters being mm-hmm. referenced. Um, but neither one. I think if I think had they done a little bit more of a background, maybe because I, I if I were if I were involved, of course, this would make it longer. And I do think there was some filler in there that could have been taken out. But I would have probably tried to have done a history of black artists in country music where it came from. Yeah, because I mean, you reference they reference a couple of people, but like. Go back to the roots, like really go back to where it started. Talk about Robert Johnson. Talk about, you know, the the branching off of Lead Belly, yeah, Sun House, and Howlin' Wolf, yeah. Like talk about it at branching off. You can look at the different part. Like this is what it was. This is what it kind of turned into. Because I think that would have really painted the picture they wanted to paint how black people got separated from country music. That really would have done it. And then you could have talked about some of those artists that did still retain country elements to their songs, i.e. Lionel Richie or Ray Charles. You could maybe even say a little Richard. Like you could talk about that. But because they were only focused on the stories of these artists, there was really no room for that. So, you know, there was an outside of Charlie Pride, there wasn't anything covered really before the 2000s. No. Like, they didn't talk about it. It was nothing. Like, you would think that, like, these are the first, you know? (laughs) Ever. (laughs) Like, ever. These are the first people ever. And I mean, and I should have gone to do the research, but I'm pretty sure there's got to be at least one or two black artists in country in the 90s. I imagine there's one or two, maybe even one or two in the 80s. I don't know who they are off the top of my head, but, like, I I do think there should have been a little bit more history done to just kind of show black people's contributions to the genre, the split off, all that stuff. Cause it, it just would have painted a much better picture and really illustrated the struggle and why there's a struggle and why people think it is exclusively a white genre, even though it has its roots in the blues. All right. So I just Googled black country singers. <laughs> <clears throat> all right. So the first was Mickey Guyton, probably the biggest right now, her, Jimmy Allen. Uh, okay. Charlie Pride, Darius Rucker. Aaron Neville, Ray Charles, Tina Turner, DeFord Bailey, who I'm not familiar with. Have we named them all? (laughs) Uh, O.B. McClinton. Who the hell is that O.B. McClinton? Who looks like he might have been around in the in the 70s as far as his 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 day. Uh, Lionel Richie, Beyonce, because of that one song. Which was not considered a country song. That's why I wasn't nominated for a Grammy. Mm-hmm. Al Green, Dobie Gray, okay, sort of, yeah. Jesse May Hemphill, no clue who that is. Herb Jeffries, man, Charlie probably just out here carrying the torch. <laughs> but on this article that says. Uh, Seven black country music singers who have paved the way. Mm-hmm. They do have Charlie Pride, Aaron Neville, Darius Rucker, Tina Turner, Kane Brown, and Cowboy Troy. Yep. Give him his propers, man. <laughs> Give him his propers. Yeah, there are not a lot of artists. Who is Rufus Payne? 
He has to be black adjacent. He does black not. Adjacent. Yeah. Yeah, not I guess so. I guess this I, I I will stand corrected then, guys. Not a lot of black country artists after Charlie. It was like Charlie Pride. Some people dabbled in it, and then, you know, Darius Rucker. <laughs> that was it. Uh, one thing that bothered me in the documentary, um, when they talked to Blanco Brown, and like every I think everyone got like a little bit of they got to showcase their talent a little bit. Mm-hmm. But with Blanco Brown, I'm like, I feel like you forced it with these lyrics, man. For him to say, as I walk through the cornfield alone, full of emptiness, like, what's with the cornfield? Why do you have to say cornfield? Because there was no <laughs> reference to any other country or farm-related uh, location or equipment or anything to suggest a country song other than as I walk through the cornfield. I have no clue. Maybe it's because he's from New York. I don't know. <laughs> um, and I feel like the scene where Shy Carter is on his horse, He, I think they just said, uh, sing about horses. He freestyled a song about his horse. I worried about him the entire time. I was like, he's going to fall off. And uh, we're going to learn at the end of this that he is Christopher Reeves. Like, I don't want to find that out. Like, I was so scared of him. That horse was huge. Um, But overall, with this document, like, like you said, there's no real narrative. It was just a, uh, a lot of different stories. Everyone has their their struggle mm-hmm. or their, their triumph. And it all came down to just getting an opportunity. Yeah. Um. So overall, what do you think of the documentary? And I guess secondly, what do you think of country music going forward? The documentary was interesting. Like I said, I think that they should have added in a little bit of history just to kind of show where it was. Because they try to talk about where Nashville is going. And I think if you're going to talk about where some place like Nashville and the and the genre of country music is going, you've got to talk about the past. So I think they should have done that. But overall, I do think it was interesting. I'd be curious to to kind of to do a cross section or like a diagram or a Venn diagram of how many of them are signed to the same labels. Cause at the end of it, it almost kind of felt like a showcase for their artists in a in a sense. Like, hey, let's get a bunch of these black artists to have them tell their story. We'll let some of them sing and and stuff like that, and we'll kind of raise their profile. Um, All in all, though, you know, from the moment I saw it, I'm very glad it happened. And I hope that these artists continue to remain in the spotlight and talk about, you know, talk about, you know, get black people into other genres of music. Because there's more out there than just rap and R&B people. I swear to God there is. And you'd be surprised um, how much history we have in all of these genres. <laughs> We've typically done well in them, you know, you know, you know, but that's, and in terms of where country mu- music is going, I think it's going to, it's going to go the same place as all pop music, popular music, um, which is, you know, anything that is in the mainstream is just going to be whatever is hot at the moment. And unfortunately in Nashville, because I've heard so many things, and I wish I could remember the di- the guy I follow on TikTok to give him a shout out. But like he kind of he identifies a lot of trends and talks about 
Um, like, if you want this kind of country, go here. So, like, you know, he talks about um, Tyler Childers. He talks about Sturgill Simpson. You know, like, these alternative country, you know, even if you want to go back to, um, is it Ryan White, who was in Whiskey, uh, Whiskey Town. So I think, you know, you'll always have the mainstream. And I do think, you know, these black artists, they're all kind of in mainstream country right now. So I think that's where it will go unless, you know, mainstream tastes change or Nashville deems it to change. Then, you know, who knows where we'll see it go. Will black artists come in and adapt? You know, hip hop is really hot at the moment. So I think they're going to continue to borrow from hip hop. Um, Not as much as Breland because Breland essentially made a rap song, a rap country song in the vein of a little Nas X. Whereas someone like Jimmy Allen or Mickey Guyton or even Raina, they make songs that are more like their country songs, but they contain elements of pop, R&B, trap, you know, whatever is hot at the moment. Um, and I, I think that's where country music will kind of continue to go. Yeah, I could, I could agree with that. Um, I think that with all the artists that were featured, <clears throat> they were looking to push the genre forward. Yeah. Um, and that is, uh, I guess that would kind of be their way in. And yeah. But it, it comes off as a risk, you know, if you're trying to gain those established country fans. Yeah. It would have to be like new fans or fans coming over from pop, R&B, hip hop. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, <clears throat> I kind of look forward to see how, how, it, how, how it does progress. Um, and I just, I just do wish that there was, you know, some attention paid to, uh, the other black artists that came before them aside from Charlie pride. Um, you know, and, and there, if there was a a more historical angle, because even if they didn't go back to, you know, the thirties and forties, just go back to, um, Lionel Richie stuck on you mm-hmm. or the Pointer Sisters slow hand. Yeah. And uh or or country artists covering R and B. Yeah. Like Barbara Mandrell covering If Loving You Is Wrong, Gotta <laughs> Would Be Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that so and that would have been that more historical angle of where like, you know, a lot of of white country artists were borrowing sometimes outright stealing from black artists. Her cover, which I believe was a hit covered. If you listen to it, didn't really change anything. Yeah. (laughs) It's just a different, I think it's a little bit faster, Mm -hmm. but other than that. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of borrowing, sometimes stealing, but just a lot of, you know, Outright bar. Although I will give, because <laughs> I don't want to step on the toes. Like, I feel like a lot of the country artists, because they were so close to the music, were borrowing. Whereas, like, Led Zeppelin was straight up stealing. Like, oh, Led, Led Zeppelin, yeah, was, Led just Zeppelin like, was stealing. You just, you and, didn't. And even, claiming it as their own. Yeah. Like, it's just like, that, that was theft. <laughs> that was just straight up. <laughs> that was just like, yeah. But that that's a whole other. Like I, I think we're probably we'll probably for the next five years. I was going to mention it, but you already did about keep, with Led Zeppelin. Cause I, yeah. Like they, they were straight up stealing. Like that's that song, and then you just see the writing credits as Jimmy yeah. Page. 
We'll, we're going to keep finding out. Like, I think we'll continue to find out about, like, yeah, that wasn't their song either. Yeah. Even the songs that didn't sound blues, Stairway to Heaven, they stole that song. They just, every song. But especially from blues artists, when the Levees Break was, a, I think, a Lead Belly song. There's a lot of stuff, you know? A lot of stuff. Be more like the Stones, Led Zeppelin. They they actually would try to bring these people on tour, give them give them a spotlight, but you know, and then steal theirs, and then because st- <laughs> they brought on who did they bring? Well, Mick Jagger got um, get on up made. Yeah, he's so, a producer. Yeah, what has Robert Plant done? Hmm? What's Jimmy done? Hmm? Yeah, yeah, collect royalty checks. Yeah, that's that's all I'll say. For songs he stole. Anyway, mm. is there a super fan base for Led Zeppelin? <laughs> Like the Zeppelin army or something. <laughs> <laughs> Flame us on social. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so that will do it for our discussion about um, for love and country. Like I said, you can find it on Amazon Prime. It's about an, a little over an hour and a half. Yeah. Um. So we'll get to my earworm of the week. Uh, like I said, I've been listening to a lot of lo-fi alternative R&B. And uh, this is an artist that I... He's he's been around for a while, but I just never listened to any of his music. Um, named IDK. Hmm. Uh, he's from Baltimore. Um, doesn't really sound like it. Uh, <laughs> Lord knows I have an accent. <laughs> <laughs> on his recent album, uh, the song by Earworm is produced by Kate Trinata, uh, co-written by Mike D. Um. So and I, and there's also some uh, Neptune's influence, of course, on, okay. on the album. So you said this was produced by Mike Dean, co-produced by him. Uh, I think he's was. a producer okay. on the album. Okay, he's a co-writer on this song, and Kate Trinata produced the song. Gotcha. Uh, it's called "Breathe," and um, we'll be right back.
is Breathe by IDK. Always love some guitar. And you can find that on our BTTYHT Airworms playlist right now. And it's from uh, IDK's album called Simple. Um, he kept it very simple. There are only eight songs. <laughs> Short albums, people. Short albums. It's the way to go. Yep. Didn't right. uh, didn't um, Bruno Mars win a Grammy off of that? 24K Magic? Yeah. That, that had nine songs. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you do That's how you do it. <laughs> All right. So uh, that'll do it for... This episode, um, what should we end the show with? Uh, should it be at the are any of the artists that were snubbed from the documentary, or someone that was included? I would say snubbed. Give <laughs> give the people some. Um, my vote, of course, is always going to be uh, chicken with the train, just because of its in what it's what it should have been influenced. Uh, Darius Rucker, of course, is always a good choice. I don't really know a lot of his songs outside of Wagon Wheel. I know that was one of the biggest singles ever, but um, or if we go with someone who was on there, I would say the Blanco Brown song. Um, I think it's called the Get Up or something like that. Just to kind of you know where country is kind of going. Darius Rucker also has a song called All Right. And okay, Beers and Sunshine. I'm, no, not that one. I don't even know. I don't even. I've never even heard it, and I don't want to hear it. <laughs> um, you know what? Let's 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 give the show some energy to end it, and we're gonna go with Cowboy Troy. Yep. Uh, I play chicken with the train. Um, a West Georgia classic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to everyone who's listened, and we'll talk to you very very soon. Peace. Peace. Jump the track like that. I played chicken.